Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And today we are talking, it's been a while since we talked about Oscar winning masterpiece. And today's not one of them days. Wow, someone wants to be me. <laughs> of course, today we're talking about 10 to Midnight. Yes. Yes. <laughs> is this throwing you off? It is. So, <laughs> on, we, let's get it back on track. Welcome to 2021. Um, <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. And I chose this film as our first film of the year because I couldn't think of a better way to start 2021 than with this... Oscar winning masterpiece. <laughs> it should have won Oscars. I mean, Charles Bronson's uh, non-moving face should have been nominated for an Oscar alone. I mean, really, in terms of trash, this is up there with the best. This is polished trash. You can polish a turd, apparently. Yeah, this is, you know, it's a trash to piece because it's not actually that bad. No, it's it's a good film. It's actually a good film, um, but sort of hiding so behind ridiculous. A, a sleaze. It's very sleazy. Very yeah, but a good mixture of camp as well. This is just ridiculous. This is just an absolutely ridiculous film, and it that is. is why it's so great. It is. It is ten to midnight from nineteen eighty three, directed by J Lee Thompson, who has directed a lot of film noirs um, between the fifties and sixties. He he directed Cape Fear. Uh, the original, Guns Are Another Own, uh, Conquest and The Battle of Planet of the Apes, uh, Huckleberry Finn, Happy Birthday to Me, uh, Murphy's Law and of course Death Wish 4, we're also with Charles Bronson, Murphy's Law and Death Wish 4. Um, it was made on a budget of $4.5 million and made uh, just over $7.1 million worldwide. Um, oh, I mean, it's quite low. It's, it is, I suppose, it is a very much a uh, adult film. J. Thompson's filmography, though. How on earth did he get to this? I think J. Obviously, J. Lee Thompson uh, began directing in the studio system, so um, he would have directed. He he would have probably been a director for hire. Who would have directed everything he wouldn't have had a specific genre so obviously they churned out a lot of westerns a lot of film noir and you know some of his are the most remembered ones uh particularly cape fear which is quite well known to be a classic of the genre um and obviously as the studio system faded and um directors sort of <laughs> older directors probably would have had to have taken whatever they could get so you get stuff like this uh, and, and with actors as well you know you look at the whole whole genre of exploitation of you know actresses that were forced to do these low budget horror films uh, that played on their age because without the studio system there was no regular work they had to go out there and find it um, so the directors would have been exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, whereas Charles Bronson, he was in so much in the 80s, uh, thanks to Canon Films, who released this. Um, it, 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 some of these trivia facts I have here about Charles Bronson are, are bizarre. So <laughs> Yeah, he seems like a very strange man. He's obviously um, a genre legend, mainly for action. 
um, genre, really. As, as um, an older man, I mean, obviously it was much easier for older men to get leading roles um, still to this very day, unfortunately. Um, so Charles Bronson sort of, after Death Wish, I think it was, yeah, really. Yeah. He was an action star. He was in the original Magnificent Seven. Um, so he was very much part of that studio system. He, he, I never, I don't think he was ever really a top name until something like Death Wish. Yeah. Which is one of those films that sort of comes out of nowhere and becomes this huge hit and spawned loads of sequels and, you know, very much this is a derivative of that sort of Charles Bronson as the vengeful father. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so this is very much in keeping with that. Uh, we liked Death Wish, didn't we? Watch Death Wish. Yeah, it was all right. We enjoyed it. It, it. Was, it was not okay. as good as this. No, um, I, I think this is way more sort of balls to the wall, over the top um, campness, which uh, obviously we enjoyed a little more. Yeah, so Charles Bronson had plastic surgery in order to make himself look young enough to play Leo Kessler. <laughs> he was 61 years old when he appeared in the film. That plastic surgery, I hope he kept the receipt. He, he didn't do much for him, did it? He didn't look that different to how he looked in Death Wish, the no. original Death Wish. So, no. He, he's very much like Dolly Parton in a way that he's had so much work done that he, his face does not move. He's just he's just smiling, doing this creepy dare smile. He's Dolly doing... Parton has not had any plastic surgery. Of course not. Charles Bronson is just doing a creepy smile throughout his entire film and never changes that expression once. Not many of the actors change their expressions in this <laughs> He's film, also, but... obviously, you know, we have to discuss this, he has, he's basically the king of the moustache. Oh, yeah, in terms of moustache, he's number one. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Can you think of anyone with a better one? It's Sleepaway Camp. The cop. But more iconic. <laughs> well, no, no, everyone knows this. Um, the film was... <laughs> and real. <laughs> the film was made in 1982, two years before DNA started uh, to be used in criminal investigations, which uh, obviously makes a lot of sense, given uh, <laughs> given the way the killer kills people in this film. What do you mean? Two years so, before? This is two years before they started using DNA in uh, criminal investigations. But the killer's trying not to leave his DNA anywhere. Yeah. But, I mean, like, there's probably more things they would have looked into two years after this. Oh, yeah, actually, no, that's stupid of me. I do apologise. Yeah, so what he's trying to do is not get DNA on himself. Mm. Uh, Whereas, you know, he's he's probably left millions of hairs everywhere. Yeah. Um, (laughs) From every part of his body. (laughs) One of two Charles Bronson cinema films that... uh, our, our favourite critic, Roger Ebert, gave a zero stars rating. The other was Death Wish 2. But 10 to Midnight arguably got the worst review with Ebert's opening sentence calling the film a scummy little sewer of a movie. He really had no sense of fun, did he, Roger Ebert? He, yeah, I think he, he comes across very sort of conservative. Mm. Um, easily shocked. Um, so I don't know why you'd be a film reviewer. Just don't, just don't watch it. Read the premise and be like, no, I'm not going to enjoy this. And then just don't watch it. Just don't watch it. The film was inspired by real-life cases. The first was Richard Speck's murder of eight student nurses. The second was a Scotland Yard investigator who got fired from his job for planting evidence to convict a Thames River killer. And it turned out that the killer committed three murders before being convicted. 
And the third case is that of Ted Bundy, to whom the actor playing the killer, Gene Davis, bears a striking resemblance in that Bundy murdered young and beautiful women. He was good-looking and drove a Volkswagen Beetle. Do you think Gene Davis looks like Ted Bundy? Um, no. Well, he probably looks as much like him as um, Zac Efron does. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I, um, I don't get the whole Ted Bundy... Th- I think he was conventionally handsome. I think that's the point they're making. Not the... I, I, I can't say I've ever... Do you think... Ted Bundy and for all. Do you think these real-life cases this is based on also had the killer running around with his knob out? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> After no. attending a screening of the film... Uh, the producer, Pancho Connor, took, uh, Kona, I think is how you pronounce it, took Charles Bronson and his wife Jill Ireland to a trendy sushi restaurant to celebrate. During the dinner, Kona noticed that Bronson was quiet and seemed down. Thinking Bronson didn't like the film, the producer told him to cheer up and said that it was a good film. Bronson told him that it wasn't a film, it was just he hated sushi. Why is that a st- <laughs> Why is that story? It's one of my favourite stories I've ever read on a podcast. <laughs> like, seriously, what the fuck is... Charles Bronson is, is something else. He, I think we need to watch more of his films. Why didn't he just say, I don't like sushi? <laughs> he, he orders quiche in this film and says he hates he quiche. He does, yeah. And well, coleslaw. He thought it was a pie. <laughs> yeah, but there's no excuse for the coleslaw. No. Um, the original script also called for uh, Leo Kessler to wrestle Warren Stacy down to the ground in their final confrontation. Oh my God. Bronson was not up for getting that close and personal with a naked Gene Davis. I, I think, really, yeah. really wish that happened. I didn't want to see Charles Bronson teabagged <laughs> on the film. I mean, it's, it's bizarre enough to see him chase a naked guy down the street, let alone wrestle with him. Uh, Gene Davis, portraying serial killer Warren Stacy, was so into his role and acting so intensely that he actually dislocated an actress's arm during the final murder and massacre sequence. Oh, God. Yeah, Canon Films um, allowed a lot to go on on their sets, didn't they? Yeah, we watched a documentary on uh, Canon Films and uh, every film mentioned looked absolutely amazing. <laughs> um, I think they're, they're kind of the... Um, kings of trash to pieces. Aren't it's they? like if if Troma were given a big budget and wide yeah, releases. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they didn't mention Ten to Midnight too much. But it it all all of the canon films seemed to be a bit haphazard in the way they were made. Yeah. <laughs> uh, three different endings were considered before the, before the final version was settled on. I wonder what the other ones were. Yeah. Um, when Mrs. Bird, the office manager, announces to Betty's co-workers, Betty's dead! The music in the background is the same that would later be used in the Terminator during the police station massacre. <laughs> that is one of the greatest scenes. I didn't notice that because all I could, all I could focus on was, Betty's dead! <laughs> Alec Baldwin screen-tested for the role of Warren. Bloody hell. Imagine Alec Baldwin running around with his knob out killing people. <laughs> Cannon sold the film's premier television rights for a then heard of, unheard of amount of $2.5 million. Jesus Christ. People were dying to get this on TV. Oh, I would have been there in front of the two. I suppose it's one of those films that maybe would have done better on TV because 
it's so sleazy. The premise is so yeah. sleazy that you'd feel a, maybe a little embarrassed going to the cinema and say, oh, can I have a ticket for 10 to midnight, please? <laughs> like, well, what you got on? Oh, uh, there's a film with a guy with his knob out for the whole thing, <laughs> killing people. Oh, I'll, I'll have a ticket to that, please, love. Um, so on TV, I suppose you, you're in the comfort of your own home and you can watch it. But then it would have been massively edited for TV, wouldn't it? Uh, that doesn't depend on who showed it, really. Yeah. I doubt it'd be showing this before the watershed. Uh, the movie's original script title was Bloody Sunday. Uh, the producer said that he and Canning Group chairman uh, Menaham Golan gave this movie its 10 to midnight title despite it having no apparent relevance to the film's story. Yeah. After the producer pitched the title, Bronson in the lead and description of great action and great danger and great revenge to buyers without a script, then scrambled to find a story and settled on the already written Bloody Sunday screenplay. Later, marketing for the movie did suggest a connection with the title. The theatrical re- release movie poster presented artwork with the villain's characters and arms forming the 11.50pm time uh, on a clock face whilst the movie's DVD tagline read A Cop, A Killer, A Deadline. Uh, it's, it's still, yeah, there's, there's yeah, absolutely no, no connection. Absolutely no connection. <laughs> and also, Bloody Sunday would have no connection either. No. <laughs> Was it a Sunday? <laughs> Ooh, it takes. It wasn't really over a many one days. Day it was. No, I don't think anyone ever mentioned a day. Um, like other Charles Bronson movies, this one performed much stronger outside of the US, where it got most of its box office money. Nice. Uh, the tagline on the original theatrical release movie poster uh, for the film read, Forget what's legal, do what's right. Whilst other taglines have stated, Bronson is back on the streets, back in town with a vengeance. At the time of, these, of its release, these taglines connected with Death Wish, of course, and Death Wish 2, which were massive at the time. Uh, the character that Bronson plays in this film is actually a variation on his vigilante screen persona. Yeah. But really, only towards the end, like in the last ten minutes or so. D- to a certain degree, yeah. I, I know, we'll go into it a little more, but if we didn't know that Warren was the killer from the get-go, this would be a very different movie. Mm. Um, Charles Bronson would probably be the villain of, yeah. the, of the film, but because we know, then uh, we, we're kind of justifying what Charles Bronson's character does, when really, maybe we shouldn't be. <laughs> and the, the script uh, called for Warren to be naked in many scenes, many more than we already see. And uh, Gene Davis, who portrayed him, wanted to break the ice of his co-stars and get the awkwardness out of the way uh, before they began shooting by walking around set naked. But the actress who plays Laurie Kessler, uh, the daughter of Leo, was the one uh, who uh, was the one hold, hold one hold out, whatever that means, the one who basically didn't want it to happen. She refused to look at his penis. <laughs> so uh, so Davis went ahead and tied a red bow around it to draw her attention. Again, a really questionable thing happening on uh, a canon film set. For fuck's sake. It was originally about Charles Bronson um, hunting down terrorists, of course. Nice, I would have watched that. (laughs) Um, But obviously changed at the last minute. The French title, uh, La Justicia de Minute. Yeah, how's that? Um, Le Justicia de Minuit. That's exactly what I just said. Reinforced the wrong impression that this belonged to the Death Wish franchise. Oh. Um, Naughty. Yeah, so in in the same way that if this was Italian, it probably would have been Death Wish, uh, Death Wish whatever five. it was yeah. at that point. Death Wish 5. 
this Charles Bronson film uh, was released theatrically between Death Wish 2 and The Evil That Men Do. The Evil That Men Do is also from the same director. Uh, there's a scene written involving the killer uh, getting hit on by a homosexual man, which was later scrapped from the final cut, apparently to show the killer's constant sexual frustrations and possible oppression. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we, we, know, we know there's a good chance he is gay uh, from a certain scene. It's so weird. It's really weird that we'll go into it a little the, more. The way this film looks at sex as a whole is pretty weird. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, the the guy's sort of um, why he kills is never really too strong no. enough to warrant any of these individual pieces to to make any sense. Um, so I, I'm assuming that the idea is that. He can't get it. He can't get laid. Mm. And that's why he turns into a killer. So if he was hit on by a homosexual man, because homosexual men will hit on anything, of course, um, then <laughs> then he could have gotten some. And then that renders it completely pointless. Yeah. Is that what, you know... I mean, maybe, but he does also have... Uh... Gay porn stashed away in his apartment. But he so. does, but that's never mentioned and it's never mm. touched on whatsoever. Yeah. I read that into that differently. We'll get into it, but I read that into that little, maybe a little differently. Uh, this is the composer, Robert O. Ragland, who did scores for the likes of Grizzly and Q, The Winged Serpent. Like, I love the soundtrack to this film. <laughs> um, it, this is his most famous work. It, and... it should be, because it's... it's yeah, top-notch sound, soundtrack. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the released version features the full version of the song Look At Me, which he wrote um, and was sung by Bruce Scott, which has become a classic song of 80s films and uh, music to fans. Nice. And on the soundtrack, he also dedicated it to his uh, longtime friend and mentor composer, George Tremblay, who had been very influential in his career. And Raglan went on to compose other scores for canon, including Death Wish 4, Assassination, and Messenger of Death. Okay. Also directed by J. Lee Thompson. Nice. Uh, Mal Novak was up for the role of Paul McCann. Who's Mal Novak? I assumed you'd know. No. Who's Mal Novak? I recognise the name, but I don't know who it is. Well, I'm recognising the name Mel and the surname Novak, but not together. Oh, come on, let's do that unprofessional thing where I uh, Google someone or something whilst we're here. Mel Novak. He looks like... Oh, God. Oh, okay. Um, He was just a martial arts legend. Oh. He was in Game of Death with Bruce Lee. Um, I think he was just. I think he was just sort of a B movie star, um, particularly in action and um, uh, martial arts films. Um, he looks. Oh, who does he look like? It's driving me insane. Um, David Dickinson, doesn't he? He does look like David Dickinson. David Dickinson, who's from a, a UK TV show called Bargain Hunt. He's an antiques expert. Um, but yeah. What so a shame that he wasn't no cast. Yeah, what a shame. I've absolutely no idea. This so, is. the plot of this film is an LAPD detective and his rookie partner are on the trail of a psych psychopathic young man who is murdering younger women. That's to put it politely. Um, 
we start off with Mr. Tinton. Uh, that's Mr. Tinton with two T's, who tells Leo Kessler uh, how he killed people with razors, but Leo is not bothered and just continues typing at his typewriter. Yes, yeah, so this old drunk is admitting to murders. Um, murdering people who broke the Ten Commandments. So I don't know yeah. if David Fincher watched this uh, before he made Seven. Um, but it's a good good idea for a film, isn't it? Based on the Ten Commandments. Um, but Charles Bronson, Leo, couldn't give two shits. No. Um, which I thought this was going to play into the film. Um, I thought there were murders previous to Betty's murder. Mm. Um, but that's never touched on either, so... Well, the whole of this seems to set something up that just never comes about. Yeah. Because um, there's a guy called Jerry who tries talking to him. Um, Leo asks him about a statement, to which point Jerry tells him he could fart better statements than that. Uh, Leo accuses Jerry of not being his friend because he wouldn't say his name on TV. And then tells us, a mean, selfish son of a bitch. I know you want a story, but I want a killer. And I, what I want comes first. And then we get the opening credits with the very exciting action movie score. Yeah, yeah, amazing um, score. But, but that doesn't play into the film. No. Which I thought it would. <laughs> as far as we know, this guy hasn't killed anyone yet. Yeah. <laughs> if he has, they're just not mentioned at all. Um, so that was completely pointless uh, scene there. Just to, you know... Do you get people hyped up for Charles Bronson being in the film? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Warren the killer, we're introduced to him. He watches a girl get into a car whilst he's having a flashback of him unzipping her dress and her throwing a coffee in his face. Yeah. It's all right, creep. So this doesn't... This this basically sets everything up within the opening minutes. It, you know, I mean, you get to see what type of person Charles Bronson is straight away. Then we get the killer straight away. shows that he's a bit of a creep. Um... And then he he get he goes home. He's sorting his hair out. He's drying his hair uh, whilst he's in his very revealing wife fronts. Yes. Uh, and he has another flashback of the coffee throwing. Then suddenly he's dressed uh, immediately, and he's doing tricks with his knife uh, whilst thinking of having sex. Yeah. Well, thinking of her getting it on specifically, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So it, the first sight of his nipples. Um, and is uh, undressed, isn't he? Mm-hmm. So you get that straight away. My my thing is, and it's going to sound like I'm joking, but if, you know, sexual harassment was dealt with properly, then this film wouldn't exist. Exactly. You know, you couldn't make this film now because no. the moment he undressed her, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of the coffee to the face, he would have been out on his ass. Yeah. But he still miraculously has a job. Yeah. And when he finally loses his job, it's not actually <laughs> anything to do with him sexually no. assaulting these women in the workplace or just being really fucking creepy. No, he, he gets away with so much. He does. He really gets away with so much. If it was, if this was set now, none of this would have happened <laughs> at all. Um, but because the shit was never dealt with, and it, it's clearly a sign of the times. Yeah. That in you know nineteen eighty two, which I'm assuming this is set, you know, when it was made, um, nineteen eighty two, this shit weren't dealt with properly, you know. So he can get away with unzipping a woman's dress, while she's m- just making a coffee at work. 
Well, he gets his justice in the end. Let's uh, he say does, that. He does. Uh, Warren goes to a screen of Butch Cassidy and a Sundance kid. Oh, did you not notice that he had a photo, a poster of himself on his door? Has he? In karate outfit. <laughs> did you not notice no. that? No. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Because <laughs> like, he's that poster. It's him. He literally has like a full-size poster on his door of him in a karate uniform. <laughs> Karate outfit, uniform. Yeah. yeah, so he goes to the screen and there's two girls in front of him um, and he asks the lady at the front desk what, what one of the girls' names was and she tells him it's Tina. Uh, we find out Tina's seen this film five times. Tina, you're in 1983, hon. Why are you watching Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid five times? Why is it still being shown? <laughs> Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I swear, was like 68. <laughs> It'd already been out for about 14 years. <laughs> What's the, then, seen it five, five times. times. Yeah. Yeah. Why Butch Cassidy in the sun? <laughs> of all the films to choose, you know, for these two young girls to go see, why Butch Cassidy in the Sundance Kid? Well, Warren sits next to Tina and introduces himself in third person before offering her some popcorn. Uh, Tina asks him to sit somewhere else, of course. But he tells her he'd rather stay there and attempts to put his arm around her, but she moves it out of the way. Uh, he offers popcorn to Tina's friend and Tina pushes it out of his hand and they move seats away from him. He's really, like... <laughs> he's really unlikable. He's such a whiny yeah. little brat. Oh, like... he is. <laughs> but then also in the context of the film, if Tina had just turned around and said, yeah, come on, big boy, let's go, then... Uh, be- she would have been killed anyway. Would she have been killed? Yeah, because whenever someone actually takes him up on his offer, he's like, I'll fucking dare you. you it who, happens twice. You, who does? Um, When he's on the phone to uh, Laurie. And she's like, oh yeah, come on then, let's go. Yeah, and he's he like, I'll fucking dare you. He knows it's a fake. No, but then there's, there's another point. There is no... no yeah, it's Tina. It's Tina. They say they'll go for a drink with her. And he's like, no, fuck off. Literally, in about five minutes' time, Is we'll it? be talking okay. about it. Okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry, we're only overanalyzing the fucking ten to midnight. The psychology of this character. <laughs> well, Warren goes to the toilet, puts gloves on and leaves through some sort of hatch above a cubicle. Uh, that leads to the roof. Yeah, that bathroom looks so grimy. There's, like, tin foil all over yeah. the windows. He, uh, he drives to the woods, gets out of his car naked uh, whilst carrying his knife. He a uh, knife is a <laughs> knife is it's not a euf- euphemism. It's I mean it's used as a euphemism a little later on. Uh, yeah, to us. but um, he's got his knife, not his knob in his hand. Both. Yeah. Um, he approaches a van where a couple are having sex, and it's the coffee girl and her boyfriend. Uh, he stabs the boyfriend, and of course it's the eighties, so he chases coffee girl through the woods while she's naked as well. Um, so there's just these two naked people running through the woods. Uh, yeah, and I, it's you kind of see everything that she's got, and then for him it's kind of shrouded, like the shadows and branches in the way. <laughs> so you you don't. Whereas for her, you you can pretty much see everything for the whole thing. Whereas his, you know, um, <laughs> you got to be really yeah. Looking. This happens in another canon film. Yeah. Do you remember which one? No. Life Force. Well, you got a woman walk around oh, everything yeah. out throughout the entire film. Oh, my God. And as soon as some naked guys turn up, they're being censored by, like, yeah. cops. Yeah, yes, of course they are. 
Yeah, um, I fucking hated Life Force. <laughs> if so, you've seen it, oh, you can agree, it's shit. He finds Coffee Girl and stabs her to death before getting dressed and returning to the cinema and flushing his bloody gloves down the toilet. I suppose she tells him that he can have whatever he wants. So if he wants to get with her, then, mm. you know, to save her life... Yeah. Um, then she says that she would, and he just doesn't take her up on the offer. Mm. So maybe that's what... Maybe they are getting at that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, after this, this is when he... Uh, when the film the film's finished, and Tina's friend thinks Warren's cute. He starts bugging him again, and he says, How about a drink? Don't tell me you're not old enough. That's really creepy, Warren. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I mean, it's a big enough issue that you're a fucking killer, but this hint of paedophilia as well. <laughs> he doesn't care how old she is. Um, I mean, they clearly are old enough, but it's a weird statement to make. So they give in to him, and then as soon as they say, yeah, okay, let's go for a drink, he's like, no, forget it. I don't want to get in the way of you and your girlfriend. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so there we go. They take him up on the offer. But kind of. It's the other girl that... And the Tina's friend is... is She's on the larger side, isn't she? Yeah. Um, so I, I think the idea is that she would, you know, uh, want to get with Warren. But Warren wouldn't want to get with her. Because body shaming in cinema. So, yeah, he, uh, he says, don't do anything Kai wouldn't do better. And then leaves. <laughs> oh yeah he's got a smirk on his face yeah. though isn't he so we, I, I think he's obviously he's intentionally wound them up so that he would be memorable to them mm-hmm. potentially he was never obviously ever going to take them up he, even if she turned around and said yes um, which is evident yeah so I agree my apologies I was wrong police have discovered the bodies uh, the majority <laughs> of the police officers have moustaches it's like a rule they, they can only be in the police force if they have moustaches. But the one that hasn't is Paul McCann, and he is Leo's new partner. Uh, Leo doesn't seem fond of him at first, does he? No, no. It's, yeah, so Leo's just really a grumpy old man for the majority of the film. Even though he's smiling throughout the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Botox, isn't it? That's the face so, lift. They, uh, they go to the room where the autopsy's being done on, on uh, Coffee Girl, who we find out is called Betty uh, soon enough. And uh, the guy doing the autopsy says she wasn't raped. And Leo says, I could have told you that, you know. If anybody kills someone like this, his knife is going to be his penis. What? Yeah. <laughs> What's that even mean? <laughs> well, it, it says it's the whole phallic symbol of the knife, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, so, clearly, whoever wrote the screenplay to this read a few articles on serial killers and just like incorporated it all into that like um latent homosexuality okay let's put some um let's put some gay porn in his bathroom but never follow it up okay uh repressed sexuality uh yeah your women keep turning yeah let's add that into it as well um yeah uh uh, i mean for me in, in the final minutes like when he when he does this whole uh going back to what his lawyer told him to do it it kind of comes across to me. It's just a spoiled brat that knows he could get away with it. Yeah. Like that's 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 all it comes across to me. Like it's it's weird. There's so many. They've never explained why it's been done, but there's so many things you could take away from it. Because they don't have to explain necessarily in these films why somebody's committing these crimes. Um, 
more so in like slasher films, you know, mm. um, like Michael Myers, all we ever get is he's evil, uh, and but before the whole court thing, um, but yeah, where but in this film they touch on it enough, yeah, but never follow it up. <laughs> They keep, like, bringing all this shit into it, but not really explaining any of it. Yeah, and that's because they're really focusing on how seriously Charles Bronson's taking this role, and he's obviously the big selling point. (laughs) And he is taking it really seriously. I mean, every single line he delivers in this film, he is so serious. Yeah. Um, And his his lines are pretty ridiculous. So Karen's being uh, questioned where Betty is. Now, Karen is Betty's uh, roommate. Warren has fixed Karen's typewriter and throws some shade about her and Betty. And then the manager uh, of the place where they all work gets a call and she says, Who is this? What are you saying? Oh no! Oh my god, no! Betty's dead! (laughs) And the reactions from everyone are amazing. The camera zooms through the office and everyone just gives like massive gasps as it goes through. It's never really identified what Warren's job is. No. <laughs> he just fixed a typewriter. He, just, he kind of fixed a typewriter. Um, I get the impression that he's got a fair bit of money, though. I mean, the outfits he wears and... he, I, I thought he was just like a general handyman or something like that. Um, but he seems to have a fair bit of money. <laughs> he's always buying stuff and elaborate sex toys. Well, yeah, I'll find out soon enough. <laughs> uh, Paul and Leo are going for a drive, and uh, Paul's driving the car. Leo's just uh, sitting there, having a chat. Uh, Paul offers Leo a cigarette, and he tells him they're bad for him, and tells him he talks like a school teacher. <laughs> Is this weird banter between? Well, there's this weird <laughs> thing where no one believes Paul's a cop for an no. hour. <laughs> yeah, but also this big thing where. Leo's just a grumpy old man, most of it. He tells a story about a guy in his old neighbourhood who killed his wife and the parole officer because he was on meth. Yeah. For absolutely no reason. For no reason. <laughs> he, there's these moments of like, oh, the good old days. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> yeah, so Leo is shocked to find out that he knows the victim's parents because Betty and his daughter were friends, yet at the crime scene he didn't recognise her. No. No, when they would do like her body was there during the autopsy, but you know, maybe his mind was somewhere else. <laughs> well, Leo insists on uh, breaking the news to Betty's parents. They're so happy to see him. He goes inside. We don't actually get to see him break the news. He recognizes <laughs> the parents. The parents recognize him, <laughs> but he didn't recognize Betty no. at all. Who is friends with his daughter? Who was yeah. So. Um, after he's broke the news to them, he gets back in the car, turns to Paul and says, don't let your feelings become involved. Drive faster. What? Yeah. <laughs> don't let your feelings become involved. <laughs> he's the one who just told him to stay in the car whilst he goes and breaks the news because he knows him personally. Yeah. He's the one getting his feelings involved. And he will continue to <laughs> yeah, get his fucking feelings throughout. involved. <laughs> I'd be fuming. If I was Paul, I'd be like, all these fucking knobheads telling me I don't look like a police officer, telling me, oh, don't, you know, you're not, you shouldn't be smoking, mind your own business, you know? Leo is one of the worst cops. Yeah, and he's like, oh, don't let your feelings get involved. And then for the rest of the film, the person who's told you that allows their feelings to get involved. 
be fuming. <laughs> Leo and Paul question Karen. She gives a long list of men that Betty slept with and says, one of them was Mexican or something. Every now and then he'd say something in Spanish. Yeah, so she says this Mexican guy would call up to talk Spanish and talk dirty to Betty. Um, yeah, which is, which is, you know, weird that Karen and Betty wouldn't really have spoken about. If that <coughs> happened to me, I probably would have talked to my friends a bit more <laughs> about it, about what it was. She seemed to be quite vague. Yeah. She's like, oh, it's just this guy that calls her, always talking dirty in Spanish. <laughs> so, <laughs> Leo wants to see Betty's possessions and Karen doesn't want him to make Betty look cheap. And he, he won't because he knows her. Yeah, so, yeah, she... I don't know. There weren't that many men, to be fair. No. <laughs> in her time. They didn't actually mention that many. Considering she's, you know, a young woman and, you know... Diary was pretty big. Um, he only mentioned three or four men. Yeah. And by all accounts, she never slept with the Mexican guy anyway. So, um, I don't... I don't. A little bit of slut-shaming in this film, isn't mm. there? Just a little bit. I feel like the film's quite conservative at heart. Um, but... Uh, I enjoy it for it's weird, all the I, non-conservative it, stuff on display. You say that, but then, you know... When it comes to later on and uh, there's something blossoming between uh, Paul and Laurie, fucking Leo's there like, yeah, whatever, just go and shag my daughter. He didn't give a shit. Yeah. He didn't try to stop it. I t- it's, as I said, the way they look at sex in this film is really, it's, really Yeah, it, I think it does contradict itself sometimes. Um, but it does, it does feel a bit like Betty... In this scene, Betty was being punished mm. for being promiscuous. Um, but, yeah. Who knows? After this, they're at the funeral, and Paul's giving Leo's daughter, Laurie, the look. Even though they're at a funeral, but he's, he's giving her that look. <laughs> yes. He's proper eyeing her up. <laughs> I have no idea who she is. He's at a funeral, and he's, like, proper giving her the eye. Yeah, and they're introduced after this, and uh, Laurie tells him that he doesn't look or sound like a cop. No. <laughs> and reveals that she doesn't live with her father, She's a nurse who doesn't look like a nurse, and she moved that after her mother died. And then the thing is, whilst all this is happening, Warren's there acting really yeah. shifty. Like, whenever Warren interacts with any other human being, he's always acting really shifty. Yeah. It must be obvious to everyone, and it pretty much is from one point, you know, just obvious to everyone that he's the killer. Yeah, he, he's never not acting suspicious throughout no. his entire film. But he's, he's, and he's not saying anything, but he's acting <laughs> as if he's surprised the police were there. Like, you're at the funeral of the woman <laughs> you murdered. Well, he stands there. There's going to be police there. Why are you acting? <laughs> Like really shocked and shifty. He stands there and he starts listening in to uh, to Betty's father telling Leo about her diary that she kept. Yeah. And he's not even trying to hide. He's no. just standing there listening. Well knows he. And then Laurie pops up and's like, "Hey, hang on, I know you from somewhere." Uh, then he acts even more suspicious and just leaves. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know you. And you know, doesn't try and give any, you know, sort of clue as to why would they know each other. Or who he is, just like, oh, I don't know why you'd say that, oh, bye. <laughs> and it, but the thing is, he's so obvious with overhearing the diary thing that no yeah. one even... So when... Spoiler alert. Um, but when the diary... Someone breaks in to get the diary, when Warren does, 
the suspicion is immediately on him because it was very evident that you overheard the conversation mm-hmm. about the diary. Yeah, so he, he breaks into Karen and Betty's apartment to get it, uh, to get the diary. Karen comes home whilst he's uh, trying to get into Betty's drawer with a knife. And Warren watches her get changed from her wardrobe. She then gets a call from Tim, her boyfriend, and she tells him she can't sleep and she can't stop crying. But she asks him to come over a little later. Okay, Karen, we've not seen you cry once. (laughs) No, she was quite upset after the Betty's dead. Um, But yeah, we haven't seen her cry. But she is upset and Tim, you know, Tim's going to go around... Tim's an angel, apparently. Yeah, Tim's an angel. He's going to go around in a couple of hours. Um, so, to cheer herself up, what does she decide to do? She puts some music on and starts prepping some eggs on toast. Yeah, so she starts <laughs> to fry some eggs. Um, but unfortunately for her, she never actually ends up eating them. Because Warren's behind her with his knob out again. <laughs> and stabs her in the stomach. Yeah. And then the toast is done. And the, to- the toast pops up after. The toast pops up. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I hope something else didn't pop up. Uh, it probably did. Probably. Warren finally gets into the drawer and finds out there's a box in there that says my diary, but there's no diary inside. Oh my! Why would the cops <laughs> take this? Really pissed me off the first time we watched it and the second time. But why would the cops take the diary out of the box and leave the box in there? The, the really why did they lock the drawer after? Yeah, that's like finishing. The packet of cereal and putting the box back in the cupboard. Why would you do that? <laughs> Just take the whole thing. Just take. It's so annoying. Yeah. So Warren goes home. Now Warren's and, fuming uh, as much as much as I am as well. <laughs> He goes home and finds Leo and Paul standing by his door, just smiling at him. Well, obviously Leo's smiling at him. Paul's uh, actually got a bit of expression about him. Um, they question him about his flat, his taste in oh, films, thanks. and Betty. <laughs> they do this thing. <laughs> So they, they pick up, like, is it a movie theatre ticket? Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, I see you like the movies. And then they see the poster on the wall, his, his on the door, of him in his karate uh, uniform. I see you like karate. <laughs> and like, they pick up a newspaper, just a newspaper, you know, and they're like, I see you like to be kept informed. <laughs> <laughs> It is really, it's so weird. Really, really shit detective work. The way they're interrogated. It's like... <laughs> to each one, he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that too, yeah. Like, oh, I, I see you wear underwear. <laughs> Leo has Betty's diary. But they're having a good nose everywhere. Yeah. They have a good nose everywhere. And they're picking up, I see you like, I see you like <laughs> it. I see you like to eat uh, ap- apples. <laughs> And then, um, yeah, carry on. Yeah, so Leo, Leo has Betty's diary. Uh, obviously, Warren is horrified at this. And uh, he starts reading out certain sections of the diary. And uh, he reads one out about where, where Betty was saying how much of a persistent creep um, someone is that's bothering her. And he says, do you know who that is? I'll give you a hint. It's you. <laughs> <laughs> I see you like to be a creep at the office. <laughs> so... That doesn't really go anywhere, but Leo uses the bathroom, puts on a tap to make it sound like he's pissing, uh, and he starts searching the cupboards. And he finds this device um, that looks like one of those bottles you put your protein shakes in, but with a flashlight attached to the top of it. But the flashlight is like a weird shape. Like, um, 
It looks like a, like a shoulder bone shape. <laughs> it's really weird. I don't know how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's it's a hefty device. Um, but yeah. Yeah. He finds that. He finds that, looks horrified at it, and he finds a gay nude mag on the toilet lid. Um, and it's just a guy... <laughs> Turning around, giving a smile with his ass out. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Which I don't understand. He doesn't come out of the toilet and say, I see you like gay porn. <laughs> I see you like men's bum holes. <laughs> so, so, Paul's... I see you like very elaborate sex toys. <laughs> well, he does do that a little he later He does on. a little later. <laughs> um, Paul speaks to Warren about ball fighting and sports and realises that Warren can speak Spanish. Um, I mean, at that point, that's where you're like, okay, yeah, seriously, this is you. You're the killer. Yeah, that's where, <laughs> you know, we'll be like, okay, this is definitely the guy. But they get a call from Captain Malone at the police station. Somehow he knows they're at Warren's flat. He calls Warren's house number. Yeah, Wolford <laughs> Brimley in a ridiculously small role. Yeah. Considering just the year previous, he'd done fantastic in the thing, hadn't he? Although uh-huh. that was box office flop, though, wasn't it? He tells him that the uh, that Karen, the pretty girl that Betty lived with... Oh, I fucking hate when they do this in films. They're like, Karen, which one's Carol? Pretty girl. Oh, yeah, pretty girl, yeah. Yeah, she's dead. That's on there. They go to the crime dead. scene. They, they go to the crime scene, and Tim's there, and he's like, I didn't do it. And Captain Malone's like, I know you didn't do it. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. First and last we see of Tim. And uh, Leo then has Warren down at the station. He interrogates him. Warren says he went for a walk after the funeral because he felt sad, so he couldn't have possibly killed Karen. Leo asks Warren if he's ever been arrested and questions him about the time when he threw a dead cat through the neighbour's window after he cut their daughter with a knife. Seriously, this is the guy. This is your guy. Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) But it feels like the screenwriter just read it. They're like, oh, okay, I'm doing a serial killer film. Let's have a little read-up on serial killers. And just took every sort of basic idea of what a serial... Uh, okay, hurt, hurt animals, yeah. Yeah, killed an animal, that's how it starts. The only thing they don't touch on is his mum. Yeah. You know, that's a big thing in serial killer films. Um... No, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, he was violent, violent at a young age at 12. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Let's put, put that down in, in there. Whilst in the other room watching the interrogation is the Cinema Girls, Tina and a friend. Uh, they identify Warren. Uh, Tina thinks he's repulsive. Tina's friend still fancies him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After finding that he could have possibly just murdered someone. Yeah. Yeah, now they're being dragged down to the police <laughs> station. She loves a bad boy. And... As they're listening in, Leo says the girls you talked to at the movie theatre were they your type? <laughs> and Warren just says no, and Tina's friend is visibly heartbroken. She is, she is gutted <laughs> because she's so horrendously unattractive. This is what I don't get. She's a beautiful woman. She's a little larger than you know Tina, but they act as if she's some sort of desperate loser, <laughs> don't they? They do. Leo asks uh, when Warren last had sex with a girl. And Warren doesn't want to answer this. I mean, understandably, he's been, you know, interrogated yeah, for like, murder. When's the last time you made it with a girl? <laughs> You've never made it with a girl, have you? Because they don't want you. <laughs> and then he pulls out the 80s flashlight device thing, starts waving it in Warren's face. 
and screams at him, you know what this is for? It's for jacking off, isn't it? <laughs> it's one of the greatest scenes in cinematic history. Oh my god. It, it is a sight. It, it, is, it is a bizarre sequence of events. It, it, it is a sight to see. So Charles Bronson waving this fake fanny in, in front of Warren's face. And screaming, it's for jacking off, isn't it? Yeah. But it, it's... It, it's like we've said about this weird relationship with sex that this film has. <laughs> Why is he so concerned by this? And then and then slightly later on, they talk about the um, sex toy not being... Uh, not being able to use it as evidence. <laughs> like, evidence of what? <laughs> like, okay, this guy gets his, you know, kicks from a... Well, I, I was going to say battery operated, but that thing had to have plugged into a wall. Ew, so you know big. that it's connected to a bottle underneath, like a... Oh, don't. Oh! Of course. Well, I mean, where else is it going to go? Yeah, of course. Anyway. Oh, do you think he drinks his own spunk? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like them. It's for drinking your own spunk. Well, I'm sorry. Maybe that is a sign of him being a serial killer if that's what he does. If he collects it in a fucking protein shake cup and then drinks it, then yeah, he probably is... That no is, one suggested. I mean, we know he is a serial killer, but I mean that should give it away right away. But as I was saying, as I was making a proper point about the film, it's it's this weird relationship that the film has, where like it, it's obviously all these naked ladies going around the audience. You know, the majority of the audience are watching for that alone. Um, but then it's this whole idea of a sex toy that he has in his you know in his flat could be evidence of him being a serial killer I don't even care it had it for an amazing scene it did it did the film probably wouldn't have gained an extra half star if it weren't for that favourite interrogation scene uh, the jacking off scene in 10 to midnight or the guy getting slapped by the very large man in a jock strap in cruising oof I don't know. I think it's still going to have to be this because, I mean, it's Charles Bronson waving (laughs) whatever that is in someone's face. It's screaming. (laughs) Leo gets really aggressive and his colleagues tell him to stop and uh, they take Warren out of the room. Well, you would be, wouldn't you? Yeah. (laughs) Like, let's be honest. Captain Malone, (laughs) Captain Malone, Paul and a random guy with a moustache tell Leo that Warren is innocent because all of his alibis match up, but Leo is not having it. He's fuming. So, Laurie comes to visit him at work. Uh, he doesn't want to know, so Paul goes to see her. Yeah, he's really dismissive. Like, tell her to wait. <laughs> Laurie tells Paul she spoke with Warren at the funeral and that he was suspicious. Um, but he was scared of him because he was always talking about getting evil with the people who put him down. And she also tells Paul to stop acting like a cop. Yeah, and, and again, <laughs> it's this whole... And, and like the diary entries, the whole unzipping of the dress... Um, Betty's diary entry, uh, what Laurie has to say about Warren's behaviour is, is essentially, you know, what I've already said is that this wouldn't happen these days. No. You know, whereas... Oh, let's face so it, many though, occasions I... this guy has been such a fucking creep. Yeah. And the women have felt they're not able to do anything about it. I really don't think they were going for realism with this, though. No, but I, I, but I think it's actually it's quite an, um, a sign of the times. Yeah. I think, oh, yeah. I think they weren't like going this, for realism, but, then, but I do yeah. think that is a sign yeah. of the times where women couldn't come forward like yeah. that. 
uh, even in the workplace yeah. about stuff like that. Well, the happening. fact that they wrote it without any second thoughts and just released well, it. Well, exactly. You know, like... I mean, the idea that they didn't think about you know this that side of it and just think that, that was just normal, even though it's actually you know integral to the plot that she didn't think that she could come forward when all this stuff happened. I think it's it's an interesting. It's not interesting in t- necessarily in terms of the film, but in terms of the the culture at the time. I think it's a very interesting point. Yeah, Warren. But she didn't think I'd be able to get out of ten to midnight, but I did. Well, there we go. There we go. Warren spies on uh, Laurie, and some other nurses leaving the hospital, and Laurie gets a call from Warren, putting on a voice, uh, putting on a Spanish accent, and he tells her he wants to eat her pussy, but he says this in Spanish. Uh, before explaining what it meant. It translates for her. Uh, and then he tells her he wants to give it her up the arse. Uh, she tells him he's reached an incorrect number and hangs up. The next day, Leo and Paul have lunch with uh, with Laurie in the hospital canteen. And uh, <laughs> Laurie says, that's some lunch, Dad. Coleslaw and quiche. And he's like, I ate quiche. And the woman behind the counter serving him is like, then why did you take it? And he, <laughs> and he says, I thought it was pie. And coleslaw makes me sick. <laughs> it's just a grumpy old cunt. What? what is this? Why does this need to be in there? Yeah. <laughs> what does this tell you about Charles Bronson? Well, um, Leo's character. He don't like quiche. <laughs> he, he, he should have put his glasses on. <laughs> and he's eyesight testing. Well, whilst he takes it back and gets a new lunch, um, Laurie tells Paul how much of a terrible person her father is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially. It was yeah. weird. I mean, quiche and coleslaw is, is a sufficient lunch, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Laurie doesn't even start eating her lunch before she leaves. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, so Laurie's talking to Paul about feeling neglected by Leo. Um, they, they get into a bit of an argument, don't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a smidge of one. So, Laurie tries to storm off. Uh, but Leah, Leah, who looks Leah? Leo. Leo lets her know that he wants to do better, as if he'd heard the conversation, even though he wasn't actually there. <laughs> yeah. um, but very conveniently, lets her know that he wants to do better. So she tries to leave again, but then she thinks, "Oh, there's a party tonight," so she invites Paul to the party. Mm-hmm. He's not feeling it, no. and she tries to storm off again. Then she remembers. That uh, something she probably should have remembered previously <laughs> and told them straight away, but then she suddenly remembers to tell them uh, eventually after a very long time about the obscene phone call she received from a Spanish man the night previous. <laughs> um, again, you know, I don't want to think too much into it, but if I was in that situation, the obscene... I don't, I don't know if it's I thought that's the reason they were there. Back I, then. I thought that's why they were having lunch. I thought she'd have been telling them about that. Yeah. Then, no, uh, if not. I had an obscene phone call where somebody said they wanted to uh, do me in the ass, um You'd take them up in the offer. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I would probably tell someone about it. it. It would stick in my mind for a little longer than ten minutes. <laughs> but again, I don't know if that's a sign of the times. Maybe. Yeah, people are getting calls every other day saying that. Um, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it wasn't such a big deal back then. I mean, it would be a big deal now. Yeah, so... 
Probably because it was a phone call. I mean, you probably get shit like that in your DMs all yeah, the time. <laughs> like, who's calling me to do this? They must be sinister. After Paul hears about this, he changes his mind and says he'll go to the party. Uh, so he sets up the phone to uh, connect it to the police station at Laurie's apartment. Yeah, to record any conversations. And they go to a party, which is... It must just be downstairs from her apartment. Yeah, yeah, it's a dorm um, So they go to the party, they're dancing, they're having a conversation. And when the music stops, Paul shouts that he's got a gun. <laughs> yeah, so he's getting a bit hot and bothered. Um, so Laurie suggests he takes the jacket off. And just as the music stops... Um, he says, I can't, I've got a gun, um, to much hilarity from everyone there. Um, it's a bit like he's isn't it? Yeah. You know, when something, something happens and then the, suddenly the music dies down. <laughs> they, uh, they go outside, they're having a bit of a conversation. They hear some moaning and Paul storms into a bathroom where a couple are having sex with the guy's big hairy ass crack facing the camera. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Paul mistakes an orgasm for a murder. And uh, it's just another reason for the film to show us breasts, essentially. Well, I mean, it? and a male nudity and, as well. Yeah, and Big hairy ass. Did you say booty? No, we said male nudity. Oh, we said booty. <laughs> when you see a big hairy ass, I mean... <laughs> Thank you. Say big hairy ass one more time, just in case no one heard. <laughs> so he apologises, like, carry on, carry on. So uh, Paul walks Laurie to a door and she snogs him. The phone rings and interrupts Laurie asking Paul on a date. And who's on the other end of the phone? It's Pedro. It's Pedro, which means Peter, apparently. <laughs> it's Warren and his Spanish accent, and uh, he says he's got the biggest horn she's ever seen. <laughs> he wants to take her to a motel where they can do it in every way possible. And Laurie's like, okay, yeah, sure, let's do it. And what does he say? Kiss my ass, cunt. <laughs> Kiss my ass, cunt. I'd love to stick it to you. That's what I'd love. Your father's a pig and your mother's a whore. I wouldn't piss on the best part of you if you are on fire. And then hangs up. <laughs> it's just terrible, really. We shouldn't be laughing. But it just... All this shit sort of comes out of nowhere in this film. It's so... It's just so weird in this film. So it's hard not to laugh when these things happen. So Leo and Paul listen to the tape and Paul tells Leo his daughter is something very special and leaves. And, and you normally in a film like this you expect like, the father to be like, hey, you stay away from my daughter, what are you doing? But he's like, yeah, whatever. And then <laughs> yeah. that's it. I mean, Paul's got a daughter to shag, but Leo's got a killer to fight. Yeah, it's true. Leo walks in on someone at the uh, station getting stoned. And listen to his Walkman. Yeah, so it's in the morgue. So he's the morgue assistant and he's uh, smoking a joint as Leo enters the room. Uh, it's, it's very late at night. Um, and so he distracts the assistant with getting a tape of Warren's voice for a comparison with Pedro's voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he takes some of Betty's blood uh, from the sample, you know, the sample taken when the assistant's not looking. And... Yeah. Yeah, he t- tells me he won't report him for smoking illegal marijuana. Illegal marijuana. <laughs> There's no evidence to be found. Not illegal marijuana. <laughs> Leo somehow has the keys to Warren's apartment. <laughs> he uh, waits for him to go out and just goes in. Yeah, he d- No, no, he doesn't. He has a big set of keys, yeah. Oh, of course yeah. he does. Just yeah. lets himself in. 
So Leo and his colleagues gather in Captain Malone's office. They listen to the phone calls, uh, the phone call and the interrogation tape next to each other, and uh, Captain Malone agrees to have Warren arrested. Yeah, because he doesn't hide his voice that no. well, does he, really? <laughs> and and Leo tells Paul to take some very specific clothing for tests. Yes. They find base blood on these clothes, conveniently. Dun, dun, dun. Paul can't figure out um, how Warren messed up so much when he's been so clever otherwise. Has he, though? <laughs> no. I mean, he's acted He's a terrible criminal. He's acted incredibly shifty. <laughs> he's decided to use... A Spanish accent, but not really hide his voice that well. Um, so that's why he's a suspect for the the calls, at least. The only reason that he hasn't been like arrested and locked away by now is because the police are just as dumb as he is. Yeah, <laughs> and because he gets his bits out every time he kills someone. So Leo breaks the news uh, to Warren and his lawyer um, that they found Betty's blood on the clothes, and. Uh, <laughs> Fuming. Warren is absolutely fuming. He tells me knows he, that he knows that's a lie. He smashes a chair against the door, starts screaming no. At this point, you'd be like, okay, well, how are you so convinced that that's a lie? Like, yeah. <laughs> he makes it so obvious throughout. And the press uh, are at the court trial where Leo is being congratulated by Laurie for solving the mystery. I mean, the mystery that she technically, you know, helped solve, she did tell him that he was suspicious. Yeah. Uh, Warren's lawyer claims the evidence is fabricated by Leo, and Paul questions this with Leo, and Leo tells him to forget it. So, then Warren's lawyer questions Paul about it, and uh, when Laurie calls him that night, he uh, he's uh, a bit off with her, isn't he? He's something's on his mind. Yeah, um, and he's not wearing a top for some reason. No, of course. Um, and she is really in only a t-shirt. Yeah. So she must have had a no nudity in her contract, but she's got sort of her legs on. It's it's just really weird how nudity is also dealt with in this film. <laughs> that you, you kind of notice these things. Like, is it necessary for him to have his shirt off uh, in this conversation? Yeah, but he's just like sat in the dark, clearly something on his mind. He's really off with her. Um... Yeah, poor cow. Yeah, and then he gets... She was in there. He gets a call from Warren's lawyer who reminds him tomorrow when he testifies he'll be telling the truth. And uh, to, you know, to try and push him a little more. So uh, he goes to question the guy who got the tapes for Leo and he tells him that Leo was in the room with blood samples for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Casually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why did it... <laughs> Why did the morgue assistant not sort of question any of this? So, Warren's lawyer tells Warren to act like he's insane and plead insanity if he's found guilty and tell him that he's got voices in his head. Uh, he's like, you know, this will get you out of it. Um, Paul questions Leo about the blood samples and Leo just admits, he's like, yeah, I planted on that. Yeah, but they kind of, so they're at the courthouse and they kind of go into another room, but it's not fully into another room. No. And they're quite loud. Um, and I swear, one of the extras walking in the background actually looks at them at one point, <laughs> like, shocked. It was like, uh, why are you discussing this so loudly? <laughs> she can hear you. <laughs> yeah, so they walk in halfway through the court hearing. And uh, Leo calls the the police, the police's lawyer, is it? The guy talking on their behalf. Anyway. The prosecution. Yeah, calls him over and starts uh, whispering to him. 
And then Leo just goes to the judge and is like, yeah, I planted it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, essentially. He's, he's at dismissed. home. Case dismissed. <laughs> he's at home after this watching the press coverage. And uh, there's an interview with Leo where someone says, some people say you should be in jail. What do you say to that? And he says, why don't you go fuck yourself? <laughs> and he turns the TV off after that. That's all he wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Laurie's there. They're having a drink together. She's absolutely steaming. She's, she's had a few, hasn't she? She's yeah. had a few bevies. Leo's fuming about Warren and she's fuming about Paul for shopping him in. Yeah. Well, she didn't even shop him in. He encouraged no, him to tell the truth. It's true. But he was a bit of a... Um, what's those? What's the name? A, a goody two shoes, yeah. Really. So Leo takes uh, Laurie home, and uh, he goes home after and receives a call from Warren, who's talking shit about Leo getting what's coming to him. This yeah. was a big mistake on Warren's behalf. <laughs> but Leo walks Laurie home, and Laurie says, "I'm sure when you had a daughter, you didn't think she would be so much trouble." I'm like, "She, she ain't <laughs> even been that bad." <laughs> what she's, she's studying nursing, you know she's. She's actually really helped with the investigation. Um, she's actually been quite well, you know, well behaved. She's been quite yeah. pleasant. So, after after Warren gives Leo this call, Warren Leo, Leo basically becomes Warren's worst nightmare and just keeps fucking yeah. playing pranks on him. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like a prank Warren's, compilation. Warren said, "They say to forgive is divine, but I'm not trying to be an angel." <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, after this, Leo starts driving close to Warren when he's out and about and just smiles at him. Well, yeah, he's also, he's actually just been sacked from his job as well, so he's got a lot of time to be doing all this. <laughs> yeah, the girls in... Well, this is before Warren gets sacked. Uh, the girls in Warren's office... No, this is when Leo gets sacked. Yeah. So the girls in Warren's office are having a conversation, and they're like, oh, yeah, we want him sacked. We can't sleep at night. It's so weird, because... Before all this, they thought he was a creep, but no one tried to get him sacked. Yeah. But then he this almost went to court, and then it came out that evidence was, you know, tampered with, and that he effectively is an innocent man, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, to the eyes of the law. Um, that's when they decide that he's a super-duper creep and needs to be gotten rid of. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he walks in as they're talking about him. And uh, Leo is now, he's been in the office because he's put crime scene photos up on the notice board. (laughs) What a prank. And then Warren's boss comes over and says, what are these? What are these doing here? These pictures of your dead colleague. Get them down now. Like, how long, bitch, how long have you left them up there for? And then she sucks him. Yeah, and then he gets sacked. But what I don't understand is, also, number one, where would Warren have gotten those photos from? They're crime <laughs> yeah, scene Warren photos. didn't have those photos. No, Liam plan- Leo planted them. Oh, no, there. I'm well aware of that. But in her eyes, why <laughs> is she blaming Warren? Because <laughs> he's a fucking creep. Of course he's. But where did he get the crime scene photos from? Like, you would be really... If, if she generally thought that those were the pictures from, you know, the crime scene... She would wonder where Warren got them from. Yeah. And rather than sacking him, she'd be like, um, where did he get this from? <laughs> like, who's been here? Who would have gotten hold of these crime scene photos? Yeah, and and uh, instead of calling the police, she just sacks him, tells yeah. him to get out of there. So Warren looks out the window, and Leo is outside, staring up at the window. 
I just, I just find it really, I just find it really weird because if we didn't know that Warren was the killer from the get go, all this going on, it would just be Charles Bronson. He would be the bad guy in all that's the weird thing. But then suddenly Warren's being treated like the bad guy. Do you know what I mean? Like getting sacked from his work and people trying to get rid of him, even though it was kind of like big news that he was almost, you know, found guilty of a crime that the law sees him as mm-hmm. not having committed. I just find it really weird. And I just, but yeah, but we do know, so he deserves it. Uh, Paul catches Leo spying on Warren and tries to tell him that Warren will come after him if he keeps bothering him. And uh, Warren goes home for more pranks from Leo, where he's set a... <laughs> He set the record player up to play a vinyl as soon as he walks in the room. Yes. Somehow. That. And then his, his, he, he sets some string upon his lamp for his lamp to fall onto him. Yeah. <laughs> he could just kill him. He's like, he's just playing pranks on him. It's all it's time. Like really loud rock music. I'm like, how do you manage to do that? And then he calls, he, he calls Warren and he's like, are you enjoying yourself? He <laughs> does, yeah. So Warren goes out. He's had enough. He goes out to pick up a prostitute outside a cinema. Leo's still following him. But then he loses him in the traffic and asks another prostitute where a colleague usually takes her, takes her clients. And she gives him the location and he pays her. So Warren and the prostitute check into a hotel. And what's the, uh, what's the dialogue exchange here? Oh, my God. So the old, the old man, and he is an old sort of toothless man. Yeah. Um, he's... Uh, Warren pays him for three hours. He says, give me a wake-up call in three hours. In three hours? <laughs> the prostitute, she's shocked. <laughs> oh, wow, we. <laughs> and the old man says, looks like you've got your work cut out for you. <laughs> so that's really bad because I can't stop laughing. It was just a really weird exchange. <laughs> oh, man. Obviously, you know, the, the, the hotel that is... Really, you know, and any hotel where you have to pay by the hour is, of course, <laughs> purely for sex workers. Um, but it's just this old man, like, you've got your work cut out for you. <laughs> that was so funny. Well, they, they go into the room, they get naked, well, into their underwear. He's in his wife front, she's in the knickers. And uh, they share a drink, and she tells him though, that she's not allowed to drink on the job. And he says, it'll loosen you up. And she says, I'm already a loose woman. (laughs) (laughs) He says, bottoms up. And she goes, that's the story of my life. She has some anyway, though, don't she? Yeah, he pretends he's taking a shower and pours the bottle of whiskey down the toilet. And uh, Leah shows up as Warren leaves and finds the prostitute in bed. Now, is she dead or asleep? She's asleep. Okay. She's asleep. Uh, So Warren goes to Laurie's apartment. He's naked uh, and has flowers. Leo calls Laurie's apartment and tells one of the girls not to open the door as one of the girls opens the door and is stabbed to death by Warren. Yeah. So this is... um. So he... This is where I got a little confused as well. So his motivations um, are a bit... They don't address it fully enough. So he doesn't kill the prostitute. No. Because the prostitute didn't do anything to him. Mm-hmm. So, the prostitute never turned him down. I think she was there for a distraction, mainly. Yeah, of course, of course. But he could have killed her. Yeah. As, you know, he's already killed before. He might as well kill then. Um, 
Although, you know, it would have been very obvious because the old man could have identified him. Um, but it, it's it's this kind of weird, like, getting revenge on people. Mm-hmm. Thing. I, I, I'm not sure it's not just not fully addressed, but no. yeah, the prostitute is left alive. Um, but he, I think he thinks it's Laurie opening, because he's got flowers and he's got his cock out, but he's yeah. got flowers in his hands. Uh, a bunch of flowers for Laurie. So he's expecting Laurie to come to the door and then he could just kill Laurie and, and go. Mm. But it's, you know, they're all fannying around doing stuff and um, one of them eventually opens the door and it's it's too late and she gets stabbed, yeah. Yeah, and then he runs across the room and shakes another girl whilst demanding to know where Laurie is. Yeah, so he grabs Liza Minnelli uh, <laughs> or the Liza Minnelli lookalike and starts shaking her. Where's Laurie? Where's Laurie? Where's Laurie? And Laurie's switched the light off in another room. She's not the best of friends. No, she's hiding away. Fair. She she has a few moments where she could save her friends. Yeah. And she doesn't. She saves her own skin. So I'm not a big fan of Laurie after this <laughs> point. Yeah, there's another girl in the shower hiding whilst Laurie's also hiding. And uh, Warren spots the shower girl taking her towel. She could have waited. <laughs> she could have really like. So he opens a shower door and stabs her, thinking it's Laurie again. Yeah. And then he kills the girl that he was shaking before. He kills Liza Milahelly, and uh, Laurie hides under a bed. And we get some close-up shots of Warren's ass uh, and a bedpost conveniently oh, covering his knob as he walks around looking exactly. for her. Exactly, it's, it's, <laughs> it's comical when films do this. It's that old Austin Powers joke, mm-hmm. though, isn't it? Um, yeah, so uh, a well-timed bedpost <laughs> uh, stops us from getting a full glimpse of his, yeah. uh, his business. I, I don't know why, we get to see it a little later on. So <laughs> you, you kind of, though, don't you? It, it's, it's one of those things where it it's, just doesn't go all out. Like, you've seen the completely naked woman at the beginning, but when it comes to the male nudity, it's never just there. They they never really just let it all no. hang out, and it it's just it just ends up looking really stupid. Yeah, because he's actually naked anyway. Because he is. You might as well. <laughs> you might as well have just given him a cocksuck and just had these comically placed yeah. uh, or you know objects in the way and just show his ass a little bit. But you know the the guy and from the story as well. You know he had his business out the whole time. But the film just never fully shows it. Just like, here's, here it is. Mm. Here's this guy's cock. <laughs> yeah. So Warren finds a police radio and throws it across the room. And uh, he moves to bed. Laurie throws a lamp at him. Laurie finally fucking <laughs> does something. I'm seriously, I'd be absolutely fucking fuming. Because he very slowly kills Liza Minnelli as well. Yeah. So she could have come out of the shadows and done something, but she does absolutely fuck all. Yeah, she throws a lamp at him and attempts to leave, but inconveniently for her, her friend's corpse is in the way of the door. Yeah. So she runs into the bathroom and Warren starts kicking the door, but a car pulls up outside. <laughs> he kicks the door, but we get the view from the back. <laughs> yeah. so it's just like, it looks so weird, because it's just this like, <laughs> naked guy kicking a door. <laughs> 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 like his ass just like he hasn't got a wobbly ass but his ass is just like <laughs> tensing as he does it like, <laughs> imagine the amount of times he fighted on set oh, d- tense oh, nakedness 
Laurie uh, says the, the hero car pull apart side. She says it's her father. So she heads outside thinking Warren's gone, but he jumps out on her and <gasps> she slashes his face. I don't know what with. No, she burns him with a hair curler. Oh, okay. Um, Leo arrives, finds the corpses, and uh, Warren runs out the window, still naked. And chases, <laughs> he chases Laurie down the street with his cock flying about everywhere, yeah. whilst Leo chases him. But he, it's he, again, it's. But you do see it in this. You, you can do, not hide you it. You do, but it, he is very shadowed, isn't he? He also has a very big bush, though. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. I mean, I wasn't necessarily zooming in on the area, um, but it was very shadowed. So you can't you also, you can't really see his face either. And I'm just like, come on, guys, you know, just, just show it. It's Have still, balls, literally. This is show it. still an amazing, amazing image, though, to see. Oh, it is. Charles Bronson yeah, chasing, chasing a, a naked, naked guy down a street. Down the street. <laughs> it's, it is. It's just, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm all for the equality. I mean, if, if we're going to see the ladies, let's see the gents as well. Thank you very but much. But you, you do get to see glimpses of it flying about in this scene. I don't think it can really hide it. <laughs> but... Yeah, there is some floppage, <laughs> let's be fair. Um, he's, he's got a good run on him as well, isn't he? So it's... Um, yeah, it's... Uh, been put through its paces. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see... I'd love to hear the original audio for that scene. <laughs> what original audio? Just, just hear it flapping about everywhere. Oh, really oh Gary. <laughs> Leo jumps out of nowhere and grabs Laurie and points again at Warren. Paul yeah, arrives as well. he just jump out of nowhere. He, like, teleports. <laughs> it's just, like, there. Look, there's no... Did he take a shortcut or something? He just sort of appears. <laughs> Warren channels us in a Anakin Skywalker, Hayden Christensen in a scene, oh. and just screams at Leo for a while. <laughs> oh, like, you made me do this. Yeah, he's <laughs> going on and on about bullshit. Like, uh, I'll get off... Well, this is where he starts saying, I'm sick, I didn't know what I was doing, it was the voices in my head. And he, it's all the stuff that his lawyer told him to say. Um, and this is the point where he just comes across like, he's like oh, okay, I'm, I'm really spoiled, I've got a good lawyer, I'll do whatever I want and get away with it. Uh, he's saying he's going to pretend he's insane so he can't be punished. And he says, I'll escape from prison, you'll, you'll hear from me, the whole world will hear from me. Charles Bronson provides the best final lines of dialogue from any film ever <laughs> and says no it won't and shoots him in the head <laughs> shoots him in the head and the credits roll yeah that's it but in in, in Charles Bronson's defence in um he did, never actually drops the knife does he no he's still holding a knife no he, he escapes from, the police tried to grab him but he escapes from them yeah but still it, it is so unexpected it is, yeah. It I, is a I little never bit. saw this coming when, when we first watched it. It, it is great. It well, is I just the best ending. Like, lunge at him or something, or at least go for him. He, he had to die in the end, didn't he? he but it's it's so casual. Like <laughs> Charles Bronson just does it so effortlessly. Yeah. <laughs> That's because he can't move his face. <laughs> but it, it's such a great ending, and it really is such a, a great slasher film. Yeah. It, it really is, it's actually. Cop, cop drama slasher film. Yeah, it is. I don't think it's a pure slasher, but it's also not sort of pure police procedural, no. is it? Um, it's just insane. It just has to be seen yeah. to be believed. Very much like Cruising, I felt, yeah. that it had to be seen to be believed. 
um, just a really weird uh, film to have been released. Yeah. You know, starring Charles Bronson. The 80s were a very weird time, clearly. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, especially Canon in charge as well. Canon released some weird stuff. Um, yeah, it, it, it really is worth checking out. It's absolutely batshit crazy. It's and on Netflix. Yeah, it is, it is, isn't it? Yeah. You know, try not to... Try not to find too much logic in in it, um, and you know, just think of it as a fun, silly, stupid film. Yeah, and you'd have a good time. Yeah, it, it is certified trash piece, and uh, the best way to start off this year on the podcast. Uh, I I wish they brought the soundtrack out on vinyl. I legitimately really enjoyed the soundtrack. Yeah, I really did. So that's ten to midnight. Uh, we are on social media, so if you if you enjoy Ten to Midnight, if you've seen it already, if you enjoy uh, Charles Bronson chasing men with their dicks out, uh, <laughs> let us know. We are not Ch- Charles Bronson's dick, wasn't it? <laughs> you made it sound like Charles Bronson. Thankfully, <laughs> it wasn't. Dicks out. Uh, we are Horrible Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horrible Trash on Twitter. Uh, if you listen on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Like, follow, nothing else. I am Dead at Gas ninety two on Letterboxd. Gazmo two hundred five on Instagram and Gazcruise ninety two on Twitter. I am Chris Barker eight two three on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter. We will be back next week with a real treat. A real treat. Would you? Is your decision? Would you like to? My decision. It is Titanic. Is it the legacy? The legend goes. The on. legend goes on. So it's not Titanic. It's not Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. It is an Italian-produced, animated story of the Titanic uh, involving talking animals. Singing animals. Singing and talking and singing animals. It's from the year 2000. It is generally regarded as one of the worst films of all time. Um, But it sounds like such a shit show that we had to do an episode on it and I yeah. cannot wait cannot wait to see uh, a real happy bright animated film capitalising on the death of loads of people exactly let's see <laughs> let's see well let's see how it I goes I mean we've already yeah, seen the whole to Miss Sharon yeah. Tate so you know oh my god same thing yeah. so we'll see you same time same place next week bye <laughs>